Hi, I'm Tom Clark from Global Public Affairs. Welcome to another edition of The Take. Well, I'm joined now by a typical self-isolating couple in St. John's, Newfoundland. For those of you watching this on video, you may recognize one of the people that I'm talking to. One of the funniest people in this country with a razor-sharp wit, political satire. And beside her is Mark Critch, her husband. So welcome to you both. (laughs) Hello, (laughs) Tom. How are you guys doing? Let me ask that right off the bat. We're doing pretty good, I think, considering. Uh, We're both working from home uh, here in St. John's. Uh, I think it's probably the longest we've spent together in the, like, five, six years we've been together. We're both doing pretty good. Yeah, we, uh, but we're married in August 3rd of last year, and we never really got to take a honeymoon. And so who knew our honeymoon would be in our house constantly for, like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's good to realize that we really uh, should be uh, married. We, we haven't killed each other yet. It's great. Let me ask Mel that question because I think I'll get a more authentic answer. Mel, if you had known last August when you got married to Mark that part of the deal was that you had to spend weeks, possibly months alone with this guy, honestly, would you have gone ahead with the wedding? <laughs> yeah, there's a really like a whispered caveat if I do as long as there's no quarantine. <laughs> but, right. Yes, I think I absolutely still would have. I just probably, if I had, you know, hindsight, I would have set up uh, like a support group for wives of comedians and husbands of comedians. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's like the old line, right? I, I married you for better, for worse, but not for lunch. And, <laughs> uh, and here you are with, with endless lunches in front of you. There's so much that I want to talk to you about, but, you know, we're talking about, pretty hard times in this country right now. And what occurred to me was an old Newfoundland folk song called Hard, Hard Times. I'm sure you guys know it. It was written by William Emberley. He was a fisherman from Point Divert in uh, Newfoundland. He wrote the song in the 1930s. And I just thought I'd, you know, give everybody a taste of what that song is like. Just the first verse. And here's, here's how it goes. It says, come all you good people, I'll sing you a song about the poor people and how they get along. They'll start in the spring, finish up in the fall, and when it's all over, they got nothing at all. Now, it's a great song because it really speaks to the heart and soul of Newfoundland and and the fact that hard times have been with that province almost ever since it became a province. So here's the question. What can the rest of the country learn from how you get through hard times with the Newfoundland lens on it? I think I always think about, you know, we deal with hard times through community, through leading on each other, through taking care of each other and keeping an eye on each other. And I think that's also where our music and our humor comes from, because this place was settled in isolated areas and there were small groups of people, little outpour communities settled that to be uh, reached by ships, not by roads. And so when the weather came turned, you had to depend on each other. If somebody's house burned down, you built them another one. If, if somebody needed food, you gave it to them. And the same thing, you entertained each other. And I think we just saw that here in Newfoundland with this big snowmageddon snowstorm we had, which was terrible. Businesses shut for weeks and, and people were trapped in their houses and whatnot. And you really saw that people coming together, checking on each other, knocking on doors, shoveling each other out. Melissa joined a, a group of 
roaming shovelers who would put out the call. Uh, if you need someone to shovel you out, let us know. You tell them that. Yeah, it was uh, mostly artists, actually. It was uh, Ruth Lawrence, who is a filmmaker, director, actor, all kinds of things here. She started this group and posted on Facebook saying, does anyone need to be shoveled out? Elderly people, people who couldn't do it themselves, etc." And it just blew up when she had satellite groups going. And I, so I joined her little tribe. Uh, but it was great. We met people, um, you know, and we'd be shoveling and then the army would show up. And uh, we'd say, oh, do you want us to get away? They'd say, nope, we'll all go up together. So I basically was in the army for a week. <laughs> it's almost as if Snowmageddon was a rehearsal for COVID-19, wasn't it? I mean, you really, but, but then everything that happened from 1949 on was a rehearsal for Snowmageddon and 19. And, you know, here's, here's another thing that, that interests me, that in the great national discussion that we're having, we naturally think a lot of Alberta because their main industry is in terrible, terrible times. But Newfoundland and Labrador, their main industry disappeared about 20 years ago. That was fishing. And when you take a look at the relative strengths of the two provinces, and this is in no way meant to put Alberta in a difficult spot, but my gosh, Newfoundland and Labrador is literally facing bankruptcy. I mean, your premier took one look at the books and said, I quit, and uh, wanted out of there. I mean, these truly are not just hard times for Newfoundland, but I'm thinking existential times for Newfoundland as well, don't you think? We were actually in a really tough spot before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, when, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Premier Dwight Ball uh, announced in the spring that he was going to step down, and the big question was, who wants that job? Right. So everyone moving forward, that was really the, the question is, you know, what, because there doesn't really seem to be a, an obvious way out. Um, and then, of course, once the COVID-19 issue took over the world, the, the price of oil plummeted even further. I mean, we ended up in, in even a worse spot now with the, you know, what's happening everywhere with the economy shut down. Um, yeah, it, it's really, really difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's if we're into the same uh, realm of difficulty that we were in the 30s when Newfoundland actually gave up its independence. So, you know, it, it is really difficult times. And I think that the premier, uh, you know, raised the alarm on that pretty early in the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, financially, we have been bankrupt before uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. But you know what, if you look at, um, you, talk, you mentioned the Cod Moratorium in 93. I remember that quite well. And it was a terrible thing in Newfoundland and Labrador because not only were, you know, this huge workforce put out, out of work. But that, it was so much a part of our culture. Newfoundlanders and Labradors, they fished. That's why we were here, to fish. And that was taken away from people. Uh, but many of those people then went off to Alberta to work in the oil sands and, and the uh, other businesses around that. That's gone now, too, because a lot of those people have just come home before we got this terrible new economic news because their work in Alberta was drying up. So and, and when the cod fishery happened, when that moratorium happened, you had people put out of work. Many of them owned their own homes. Many of them owned their own cars. Uh, many of them then there were great government uh, programs like tags in which they could retrain or at least have something on the table. But now uh, a lot of these people who worked in, the, uh, in, in Alberta, they were very young. Uh, they had a lot of bills, uh, big mortgages, car payments. In some ways, I think a lot of those people are in a harder spot than Newfoundlanders were when the COD moratorium happened, you know? And the one good thing about this, the only silver lining I can see with the whole COVID situation is we are in such a state financially, and 
Alberta is in such a state now financially with the price of oil. Hopefully, we can trigger through the COVID survival projects that hopefully come out of uh, the government. Uh, hopefully, we can trigger some of that funding that's desperately needed uh, using some kind of emergency measures or whatnot to help both provinces. Right. Yeah, we just kind of got that band-aid, right? That wasn't even specifically designed for Newfoundland and Labrador, as far as I know. And that Newfoundland uh, and Labrador couldn't, you know, they were saying that we might not even be able to pay, make payroll in April, right? Like we couldn't even borrow enough to make our basic payments. And then so when the Bank of Canada came out about a month, month ago and said they were going to buy all the province's short-term bonds, at least that bought us time. You know, it's, it's not a big solution, but at least it kept our heads above water for a little while. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a tough time for sure. Let me ask you this, though, that in the midst of this this particular crisis here and everything that you've just talked about, both of you are extremely funny people. Mark, the whole country knows about you. Uh, Mel, the whole country should know about you because you've got an amazing wit and humor about you. So tell me about the nature of political satire in times like this, when people are afraid, when they're in their homes. Where is the room for humor in all of this? I think it's in unity in that, you know, we're all in it together to different extents, of course. You know, there's people who are facing more tough times than others. But there's like a common sense of, you know, of we're all relating to the same issues. And so I think that if you, you know, make an observation about that, you know, in a time like this, a lot of people are saying, yeah, that's true. I'm feeling that, too. Yeah, you know what? In Newfoundland Labrador, I mean, we have kind of a dark sense of humor, I guess. If you look at some of the 22-minute stuff and uh, uh, biting, I guess you'd call it, and Codco and things like that. And I think a lot of that comes from being in situations as a people where all you can do is laugh because you're going to have to get up and do it tomorrow. You know, there's going to be another problem tomorrow. And that comes from, you know, seafaring uh, communities and stuff. If the problems aren't going to go away. So what do you do? Well, you laugh at it, and you put your shoulder into the wind and you carry on, you push through and you try your best to deal with the issue. And, but with what I've been trying to do, you know, a little bit online and with different, you know, fundraisers and things online is, is, is kind of maybe take people's minds off it a little bit or uh, try and raise spirits a little bit, you know, because I, I probably don't think it's time to be doing a lot of biting satirical stuff. I mean, I don't find it in myself anyway, because I look around and uh, I, I see, you know, people just really struggling now to deal with this. This situation is it's getting, you know, uh, people are worried, they're scared. Uh, and, you know, humor could be a great way to blow off a little bit of a steam or to have a reset. So there's all, there's always a place for that. I think it's very, very helpful. Yeah. And our politicians have actually been a little bit funny. So I think, you know, like in most provinces, uh, you know, the, the premiers and the health ministers and the chief medical officers have become like household figures in a way that they hadn't before. Right. And our health minister uh, has been quite, he's become known for his wit and uh, his kind of, you know, dad-like, you know, warning what was he us. he about Tinder? Oh, he said, uh, if you swipe right on Twinder, is it left, right? Whatever. We've been married too long. It's, <laughs> if you swipe right on Tinder, uh, you might get more than you bargained for. So, you know, that's, um, I think we've been able to strike the right tone in terms of, you know, making quips that people remember, but it has the message that we all need to hear. Yeah, it has to be entertaining. <laughs> even, even your COVID advice in Newfoundland has come with a little bit of a spin of humor on it. Right, right. But it seems to me, though, that while you may not be taking a run at the politicians right now because of the, the situation, my God, there's a lot of material out there for somewhere down the line, right? 
Well, even now, it is, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you look up Pierre Polyev or God love Skippy, who's a great communicator, you know, if you want to get into it. You know, because he can, it, it, whether his, you know, whatever his message, he can get it across. He's, he's smart, smart and everything and, and great. In a good way, I like Pierre, you know. Uh, and anyway, he, he, he put out this uh, uh, tweet picture today, compla- or yesterday, complaining, or the other day, complaining about the, uh, the media coming all close together and like, oh, how we're not allowed to go into House of Commons, but uh, look at you media guys all bundled together to go, you know, uh, suck up to your your god, Justin Trudeau, or whatever. And meanwhile, the picture he posts is from a month ago, little prick, you know? And then he got, uh, and, and then uh, he was, yeah, Harrington Lake, he's saying, you know, he's, Justin Trudeau's spending $8 billion, million on a uh, on updating his cottage. It's like, no, it's the residence of the Prime Minister, including Stephen Harper, you little prick. Now is not the time to be, you know, these cheap shots, you know? And then, of course, there's so much ridiculous stuff. Uh, nobody go across any borders. Nobody go into another province. And what does Trudeau do? He goes up to the Heritage Lake place, 20, 20 minutes from home, but he crossed the border to go hang out with the family. God love him. And then Andrew Shear hops on a plane with uh, the 7,000 children he has uh, and flies up to Ottawa, you know. And then people are like, oh, well, this is ridiculous. No, you're being ridiculous. You're both ridiculous. Why well, take both their heads and bang them together? And go, for Christ's sake, people are dying. Will you normal up? If you what you can't. Trudeau, his hair would get in the way, though. Hair is growing. It's becoming like a house. <laughs> That's right. It's beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's all madness. It's all insane. The uh, it, you know the the what, what's going on because the, the conservatives right now are desperately trying to you know still get in there with a few partisan shots. But it's not the time for that. You know, people are dealing with how the hell do I keep my business open? How the hell do I keep my child educated? How the hell do I have an ailing parent? in a senior's residence that I can't visit and they need some encouragement. They need blue factor. We don't need parts and games right now. We need some solutions to come together as one team, which is very hard to do in Ottawa, as you know. Well, I, I do know. And, and just in terms of the uh, Pierre Polyev tweet, and for those who haven't seen it, it was showing two satellite pictures, supposedly of Harrington Lake, which is the prime minister's retreat and suggesting darkly that, one of the pictures showed that there was massive construction going on. I don't know they're building a submarine base or something like that on Beach Lake, uh, whatever it was. I had no idea the conservatives had satellite capability, but there you go. The things <laughs> you learned during, uh, during COVID. I, can I take this a little bit further? Because, I, Mark, in particular, you, know, you, you come into everybody's living room uh, every week during the season of this hour is 22 minutes and then all the other work you do beyond that. And I'm wondering if you sort of look ahead, I mean, you're in hiatus right now, which simply means that you're not recording. So it's, it's not too, too bad, but what is it going to look like? What is the whole world of entertainment going to look like after this is over? Because you rely on having an audience in front of you and getting stuff back from that audience. Are those audiences going to be there in six months from now? Well, you know, it's fascinating to see, you know, it's one thing about that, too, is the, the um, our artists are often the first people we turn to in times like this. Normally, you know, there's a big benefit concert and all that stuff, and they are hurting so much, so many, like, you know, the summers when everybody tours and does shows and all that stuff. So a lot of our performing Canadians, they, they've lost their year pretty much with, with this, you know. But for us, going back, you do need an audience, you know, you feed off the energy, we tape it from the studio audience. They tell us if something is funny or not before it goes to air, you know, it keeps it sharp. It keeps it excited. So, I mean, there will be, please God, audiences in the future, 
but, you know, for us, how comfortable are people going to be coming into a, a, a room like that? And then how long will it take before you get those full crowds again? You know, that's, that's, that's a, an issue for us. But also coming out of this, I think things like we're doing now, uh, these Zoom chats and, uh, and the way people are connecting in different ways, you know, I, I think we'll see a lot of transformations in the way people, we do, we, the way people do business, uh, whether it's comedy or interviewing or just, you know, CEOs of companies having meetings. I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of cultural shifts coming out of this. Uh, and one of those will mm-hmm. be uh, comedically. I don't know uh, how we're, we're going to do it. We'll get a studio audience. So many people are doing it with no lab track, no audience whatsoever now. And that might become the new normal. Well, and the other thing that I think about, too, is we are, as a country, really doing a lot, or at least in terms of money, we're doing a lot to help out various industries and so on. From both of your perspectives in terms of how we as a country are trying to keep our artistic community afloat, keep our entertainers afloat, uh, the artists and so on. Are we doing a good enough job? Do we have to do more? What's your sense of that? Well, um, I, I think a lot, a lot of the artists that we have probably uh, wouldn't have qualified for a lot of the earlier uh, the things. Now, there was just recently, I believe, they have announced a, a big new uh, program uh, for the arts. So that, that will be great. We've expanded to serve yeah. the emergency response benefits, so some people qualify for that. Yeah, and so that that will be a, a big help. But, mm-hmm. you know, the way you quantify how successful or how much money an artist is supposed to get, it, it's it's tricky, you know, because you're, you're dealing with people a lot of the times who it, it's hard to say. Like last year, somebody's uh, uh, performances, they may have done a lot. This year, maybe they're writing a new project. Instead, so it's like, or maybe last year they were writing an album and this year they were going to tour. So you have to look into how I did last year versus now or how I did in January versus now. That's not going to apply to a lot of artists. So I I think we do have to take a second look at who qualifies for what and how, you know, because we we really do need these people, especially the thing to remember is like, these are the people that we turn to. And so I think now it's, it's important to keep an eye on them and give them what they need. And, you know, it reminds me of something that Alan Doyle and I talked about once, and he came up with this great line. He said, you know, in Newfoundland, when your house burns down, the first call you make is to the band. Yeah. And, uh, and then, it's to the, then it's to the fire department because traditionally artists in this country, especially in Newfoundland, but across the country as well, are front and center in terms of that business of raising money, helping communities. And I know, Mel, for example, you've just been appointed co-chair of a committee on volunteerism in Newfoundland. And so you're seeing that up front and trying to sort of, uh, you know, put a, I don't know if putting a ring around it is exactly right, but trying to highlight the idea that volunteerism, whether it's from the arts or anywhere else, is absolutely vital right now. Uh, Are you optimistic in terms of what you're seeing on that front? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Volunteer Week, uh, you know, it's Volunteer Week across Canada, but and I was lucky enough to be uh, named one of the co-chairs, honorary co-chairs of Volunteer Week here in this province. And so we had this week all planned with, you know, proclamations and receptions and, you know, honoring the volunteers in our community. And of course, all of those events are canceled, but we've changed it to be online. So we're encouraging people to share what, um, you know, the people in the community are, are contributing, giving time, what they're doing. And so what I've seen is 
um, you know, of course, the number of people volunteering in this time in the pandemic situation is just beautiful. People, you know, making masks for others, people delivering meals to others. And you know what? We're all kind of volunteering by staying home, too, and actually listening to the public health advice. But the other side of it um, that I find interesting is, you know, with so many restrictions in place, um, the very important work of so many volunteers is halted. So you're seeing, you know, um, how much need there really is in the community when people who typically, uh, you know, give their time and, and do essential services for people, you know, things that are not essential, but essential in, you know, someone's life, the, the difference when those aren't happening uh, right now. So, yeah, I think, I think it's actually a, a really appropriate time to be celebrating volunteers and, and seeing the effect because it's only, it's only going to need to rely on them more. I'm on the board for a couple of charities now, too, and I think a big thing that we're all facing is, you know, we all have these targets for fundraising to meet, and uh, they're not going to be met this year. So whether it's getting Cancer Society or Parkinson's here in Newfoundland, I do some work with, or, or something like a, there's a Victoria Park Foundation, a park here, we're trying to raise money for a new playground for some kids mm-hmm. in an area. And those goals are not going to be met, you know? And a lot of, and then when you look at, you know, in Newfoundland too, like in Labrador, one of our big uh, supporters and, and first people you knock on the door for, uh, for money for, for these charities oftentimes is our oil companies. Not going to be there this year. So uh, we have to have a look. This is going to have a huge lasting impact on all the charities and, yeah. and volunteers. Well, even all the events. I know I also am one of the chairs of um, Big Brothers Big Sisters Bowl for Kids Sake, which is the biggest fundraiser of the year for the Big Brothers Big Sisters program in the province. And that's due to take place, I think it was, yeah, next, it's two weeks from now. And of course, that's canceled. Um, so that's just one of the, another many organizations, um, you know, across the country and beyond that's going to have to come up with a new structure, a new way to come up with their primary funding for, for their programs. Mark, just a, a last question. I can't think of uh, a more appropriate time for Mark Critch to be among Canadians and making them laugh and making them think about their surroundings and as, as you do always. When are you going to get back <laughs> when when is when is a grateful nation going to look up to you and say thank you mark for coming <laughs> back well we we don't start again for 22 minutes until september and i was supposed to do a comedy festival uh for cbc the health Facts festival which of course is canceled but uh i'll be you know doing things i, I i've been a bunch of part of things as i can be uh i was just a part of my good friend speaking of uh, charities alan doyle did a uh a telethon for kids help phone. I was able to uh, uh, join him on and, and, and do some stuff. And he raised, you know, a hundred thousand dollars was matched by Sobeys, the, the amount they made. So I'll be doing more stuff like that. I'm going to be doing a, uh, my book was coming out in paperback uh, in May. So no one will be buying that. So I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be doing a book launch online. There it is right here. I just happened to have it sitting on the table beside me up at, uh, up at the cabin here. Uh, maybe you should do like nightly readings from well, Son of a Critch. That'd be uh, that'd be a great thing. I'm going to do a reading April 30th on uh, my Facebook page, kind of like a little mini book launch for the paperback. But I think I'm going to add a charity element now and try and raise some money uh, for somebody, for some cause uh, with that. I think like most thousands of performers, I've become an expert iPhone videographer. Oh, yeah, for all the interviews, <laughs> Zoom things and stuff. So she's been great uh, that way, yeah. Well, listen, I have really appreciated the time that you guys have set aside uh, for us today. 
you know, both of you in in somewhat the same way, but very different ways as well, have given so much to this country and to your communities. Uh, it's an appropriate time to say thank you uh, for what both of you do from all of us. It's a good time, I think, in the position that we're in right now to start recognizing the people who have made a difference in a positive way to our national life. And although in good times that may seem a little bit corny and a little bit odd to do, I don't think it's odd or corny at all at a time like this. So, Mark and Mel, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for continuing your show through all this. Really enjoying it, and it's uh, it's great to keep everybody up to date. And we love you. And last time you were here, we had a big Christmas party. So when this is all over, yeah. hopefully you can come here and we'll fill this house with people again and uh, have a nice time. I'll be there. As a matter of fact, I'll come early uh, just to make sure I get a spot. <laughs> anyway, Mark and Mel, thank you again. Thank, thank you. you, Tom. Thanks very much for being with us. That is this edition of The Take. By the way, if you want to follow me online, my Twitter handle is at TomClarkGPA. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future editions. In the meantime, I'm Tom Clark. Thanks again for being here, and we will see you on the next edition of The Take.